the acceptable sacrifice or the excellency of a broken heart. Two, but when seconded by mighty power, then the same word is as the roaring of a lion, as the piercing of a sword, as a burning fire in the bones, as thunder, and as a hammer that dashes all to pieces. Jeremiah 25:30, Amos 1:2, Amos 3:8, Acts 2:37, Jeremiah 29, Psalms 29:3-9. Wherefore, from hence it is to be concluded that whoever has heard the word preached and has not heard the voice of the living God therein has not as yet had their hearts broken nor their spirits made contract for their sins. Second, how the heart is broken and the spirit made contract. And this leads me to the second thing, to wit, to show how the heart is broken and the spirit made contract by the word. And verily, it is when the word comes home with power but yet this is but general. Wherefore, more particularly, one, then the word works effectually to this purpose. When it findeth out the sinner and his sin, and shall convince him that it has found him out, thus it was with our first father. When he had sinned, he sought to hide himself from God he gets among the trees of the garden, and there he shrouds himself. But yet not thinking himself secure, he covers himself with fig leaves. And now he lieth quiet. Now God shall not find me, thinks he, nor know what I have done. But lo, by and by he hears the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. And now, Adam, what do you mean to do? Why, as yet he skulketh and hides his head and seeks yet to lie undiscovered. But behold, the voice cries out, Adam, and now he begins to tremble. Adam, where art thou, says God? And now Adam is made to answer. Genesis 3, 7 through 11. But the voice of the Lord God doth not leave him here. No, it now begins to search and to inquire after his doings and to unravel what he had wrapped together and covered until it made him bare and naked in his own sight before the face of God. Thus, therefore, doth the word when managed by the arm of God, it findeth out, it singleth out the sinner. The sinner finds it so. It finds out the sins of the sinner. It unravels his whole life. It strips him and lays him naked in his own sight before the face of God. Neither can the sinner nor his wickedness be longer hid and covered. And now begins the sinner to see what he never saw before. 
Another instance for this is David, the man of our text. He sins. He sins grossly. He sins and hides it, yea, and seeks to hide it from the face of God and man. Well, Nathan is sent to preach a preaching to him, and that in common, and that in special, in common by a parable, in special by a particular application of it to him. While Nathan only preached in common, or in general, David was fishhold and stood as right in his own eyes as if he had been as innocent and as harmless as any man alive. There's a footnote here about this fish hole. Fish hole is a very striking and expressive term, highly illustrative of the feelings and position of David when he was accosted by the prophet. The word whole is from the Saxon, which language abounded in Bunyan's native country of Bedford, first introduced by an ancient colony of Saxons who had settled there. It means hale, hearty, free from disease, as a fish is happy in its native element. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Luke 5.31 David had no spitings of conscience for his cruelty and enormous guilt. He was like a fish whole in the full enjoyment of every providential blessing, while spiritually he was dead in sin. God loved and pitied him, and sent a cunning angler, Nathan the prophet, threw in the bait, which David eagerly seized. The hook entered his conscience, and he became as a fish wounded, and nigh unto death. Editor George Offer But God had a love for David, and therefore commands his servant Nathan to go home, not only to David's ears, but to David's conscience. Well, David now must fall, says Nathan. Thou art the man, says David. I have sinned. And then his heart was broken, and his spirit made contrite, as this psalm and our text does show. Second Samuel 12 1 through 13. 3. A third instance is that of Saul. He had heard many a sermon and was become a great professor. Yea, he was more zealous than were many of his equals. But his heart was never broken, nor his spirit ever made contrite, till he heard one preach from heaven till he heard God in the word of God making inquiry after his sins. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me, says Jesus, and then he can stand no longer, for then his heart break. Then he falls to the ground. Then he trembles. Then he cries out, Who art thou, Lord? 
And Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9. Wherefore, as I said, then the word works effectually to this purpose, when it findeth out the sinner and his sin, and also when it shall convince him that it has found him out. Only I must join here a caution, for every operation of the word upon the conscience is not saving, nor doth all conviction end in the saving conversion of the sinner. It is then only such an operation of the word that is intended, namely, that shows the sinner not only the evil of his ways, but brings the heart unfeignedly over to God by Christ. And this brings me to the third thing. Third, I am therefore come to show you how and what the heart is when broken and made contrite. And this I must do by opening unto you the two chief expressions in the text. First, what is meant by this word broken? Second, what is meant by this word contrite? First, for this word broken, Tyndale renders it a troubled heart. But I think there is more in it. Footnote. The words of Tyndale are, The sacrifice of God is a troubled spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, shalt thou not despise. The same Hebrew word, and I can't pronounce it, occurs in the original, both as to the spirit and the heart. Bunyan is quite right in preferring our authorized version of this verse. Coverdale, Tyndale, Taverner, and Cranmer all agree. The Genevan uses a contrite spirit, and the bishops a mortified spirit. Editor George Offer. I take it, therefore, to be a heart disabled as to former actions, even as a man whose bones are broken is disabled, as to his way of running, leaping, wrestling, or aught else, which vainly he was wont to do. Wherefore, that which was called a broken heart in the text, he calls his broken bones in verse the 8. Cause me, saith he, to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Psalms 51 and 8. And why is the breaking of the heart compared to the breaking of the bones? But because as when the bones are broken, the outward man is disabled as to what it was wont to do. So when the spirit is broken... The inward man is disabled as to what vanity and folly it before delighted in. Hence, feebleness is joined with this brokenness of heart. I am feeble, saith he, and sore broken. Psalms 38 and 8. I have lost my strength and former vigor 
as to vain and sinful courses. This, then, it is to have the heart broken, namely, to have it lamed, disabled, and taken off by sense of God's wrath due to sin from the course of life it formerly was conversant in, and to show that this work is no fancy, nor done but with great trouble to the soul. It is compared to the putting the bones out of joint, the breaking of the bones, the burning of the bones with fire, or as the taking the natural moisture from the bones, the vexing of the bones, and so forth. Psalms 23:14, Jeremiah 20 and 9, Lamentations 1:13, Psalms 6 and 2, Proverbs. 17 and 22, all which are expressions adorned with such similitudes as do undeniably declare that to sense and feeling a broken heart is a grievous thing. Second, what is meant by the word contrite? A contrite spirit is a penitent one one sorely grieved and deeply sorrowful for the sins it has committed against God and to the damage of the soul. And so it is to be taken in all those places where a contrite spirit is made mention of, as in Psalms 34:18, Isaiah 57:15, Isaiah 66:2. As a man that has by his folly procured a broken leg or arm is heartily sorry that ever he was so foolish as to be engaged in such foolish ways of idleness and vanity. So he whose heart is broken with a sense of God's wrath due to his sin hath deep sorrow in his soul and is greatly repentant that ever he should be such a fool as by rebellious doings to bring himself and his soul to so much sharp affliction. Hence, while others are sporting themselves in vanity, such a one doth call his sin his greatest folly. My wounds stink and are corrupt, saith David, because of my foolishness. And again, O God, Thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from Thee. Psalms 38, 5, Psalms 69 and 5. Men, whatever they say with their lips, cannot conclude, if yet their hearts want breaking, that sin is a foolish thing. Hence it says, The foolishness of fools is folly. Proverbs 14.24 That is, the foolishness of some men is that they take pleasure in their sins, for their sins are their foolishness, and the folly of their soul 
lies in their countenancing of this foolishness. But the man whose heart is broken, he is none of these. He cannot be one of these, no more than he that has his bones broken can rejoice that he is desired to play a match at football. Hence, to hear others talk foolishly is to the grief of those whom God has wounded, or as it is in another place, their words are like the piercing of a sword. Psalm 69:26, Proverbs 12:18. This, therefore... I take to be the meaning of these two words, a broken and a contrite spirit. Fourth, lastly, as to this, I now come more particularly to give you some signs of a broken heart, of a broken and a contrite spirit. First, a broken-hearted man, such as is intended in the text, is a sensible man. He is brought to the exercise of all the senses of his soul. All others are dead, senseless, and without true feeling of what the broken-hearted man is sensible of. One, he sees himself to be what others are ignorant of, that is, he sees himself to be not only a sinful man, but a man by nature in the gall and bond of sin. In the gall of sin, it is Peter's expression to Simon, and it is a saying common to all men, for every man in a state of nature is in the gall of sin. He was shapen in it, conceived in it, it has also possession of, and by that possession infected the whole of his soul and body. Psalms 51, 5, Acts 8, 23. This he sees. This he understands. Every professor sees not this, because the blessing of a broken heart is not bestowed on everyone. David says, there is no soundness in my flesh, and Solomon suggests that a plague or running sore is in the very heart. But everyone perceives not this. Psalms 38.3, First Kings 8.38, He saith again that his wounds stank and were corrupted that his sore ran and ceased not. Psalms 38, 5, Psalms 77 and 2. But these things, the brutish man, the man whose heart was never broken, has no understanding of. But the broken-hearted, the man that has a broken spirit, he sees as the prophet has it, he sees his sickness. He sees his wound. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, he sees it to his grief. He sees it to his sorrow. Hosea 5.13 2. 
he feels what others have no sense of. He feels the arrows of the Almighty, and that they stick fast at him, Psalms 38.2. He feels how sore and sick by the smiting of God's hammer upon his heart to break it. His poor soul is made. He feels a burden intolerably lying upon his spirit. Hosea 5.13 Mine iniquity, saith he, are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Psalms 38.4 He feels also the heavy hand of God upon his soul, a thing unknown to carnal men. He feels pain, being wounded, even such pain as others cannot understand, because they are not broken. My heart, saith David, is sore pain within me. Why so? Why? The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Psalms 55, 4. The terrors of death cause pain, yea, pain of the highest nature. Hence that which is here called pain is in another place called pangs. Isaiah 21, 3. You know broken bones occasion pain, strong pain, yea, pain that will make a man or woman groan with the groanings of a deadly wounded man. Ezekiel 30 and 24. Soul pain is the sorest pain in comparison to which the pain of the body is a very tolerable thing. Proverbs 18. 14. Now here is soul pain. Here is heart pain. Here we are discoursing of a wounded, of a broken spirit. Wherefore, this is pain to be felt to the sinking of the whole man. Neither can any support this but God. Here is death in this pain. Death forever without God's special mercy. This pain will bring the soul to, and this the broken-hearted man doth feel. The sorrows of death, saith David, compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Psalms 116.3 A. I'll warrant thee, poor man, thou foundest trouble and sorrow indeed, for the pains of hell and sorrows of death are pains and sorrow the most intolerable. But this the man is acquainted with that has his heart broken. Footnote. No one could speak more feelingly upon this subject than our author. He had been in deep waters in soul-harrowing fear, while his heart, hard by nature, was under the hammer of the word. My soul was like a broken vessel. Oh, the unthought of imaginations, frights, fears, and terrors that are affected by a thorough application of guilt yielded to desperation. 
like the man that had his dwelling among the tombs. Grace abounding, number 186, volume 1, page 29, editor George Offer. Whereas he sees and feels, so he hears that which augments his woe and sorrow. You know, if a man has his bones broken, he does not only see and feel, but oftentimes also hears what increases his grief, as that his wounds are incurable, that his bone is not rightly set, that there is danger of a gangrene, that he may be lost for want of looking to. These are the voices, the sayings that haunt the house of one that has his bones broken. And a broken-hearted man knows what I mean by this. He hears that which makes his lips quiver, and at the noise of which he seems to feel rottenness enter into his bones. He trembleth in himself and wishes that he may hear joy and gladness, that the bones, the heart, and spirit which God has broken may rejoice. Habakkuk 3.16 Psalms 51 and 8. He thinks he hears God say, the devil say, his conscience say, and all good men to whisper among themselves saying, there is no help for him from God. Job heard this. David heard this. Heman heard this. And this is the common sound in the ears of the brokenhearted. For the broken-hearted smell what others cannot scent. Alas, sin never smelled so to any man alive as it smells to the broken-hearted. You know wounds will stink, but there is no stink like that of sin to the broken-hearted man. His own sins stink. And so doth the sins of all the world to him. Sin is like carrion. It is of a stinking nature. Yea, it has the worst of smells. However, some men like it. Psalms 38, 5. But none are offended with the scent thereof, but God and the broken-hearted sinner. My wounds stink. And are corrupt, saith he, both in God's nostrils and mine own. But alas, who smells the stink of sin? None of the carnal world. They like carrion, crows, seek it, love it, and eat it as the child eats bread. They eat up the sin of my people, saith God, and they set their heart on their iniquity. Hosea 4, 8. This I say, they do because they do not smell the nauseous scent of sin. You know that what is nauseous to the smell cannot be palatable to the taste. The broken-hearted man doth find that sin is nauseous, and therefore cries out it stinketh. They also think at times the smell of 
fire, of fire, and brimstone is upon them. They are so sensible of the wages due to sin. Five, the brokenhearted is also a tasting man. Wounds, if sore and full of pains, of great pains, do sometimes alter the taste of a man. They make him think his meat, his drink, yea, that cordials have a bitter taste in them. How many times doth the poor people of God, that are the only men that know what a broken heart doth mean, cry out that gravel, wormwood, gall, and vinegar was made their meat? Lamentations three fifteen sixteen nineteen. This gravel, gall, and wormwood is the true temporal taste of sin. And God, to make them loathe it forever, doth feed them with it till their hearts both ache and break therewith. Wickedness is pleasant of taste to the world. Hence it is said, they feed on ashes, they feed on the wind. Isaiah forty four twenty, Hosea twelve and one, lust or anything that is vile and refuse the carnal world think relishes well, as is set out most notably in the parable of the prodigal son. He would fain have filled his belly, saith our Lord, with the husk that the swine did eat. Luke. 1516, but the broken-hearted man has a relish that is true as to these things, though by reason of the anguish of his soul it abhors all manner of dainty meat. Job 33, 1920-1917-19. Thus I have showed you one sign of a broken-hearted man he is a sensible man. He has all the senses of his soul awakened. He can see, hear, feel, taste, smell, and that as none but himself can do. I come now to another sign of a broken and contrite man. Second, and that is, he is a very sorrowful man. This as the other is natural. It is natural to one that is in pain, and that has his bones broken, to be a grieved and sorrowful man. He is none of the jolly ones of the times, nor can he, for his bones, his heart, his heart is broken. One, he is sorry, for that he feels and finds in himself a gravity of nature. I told you before, he is sensible of it. He sees it. He feels it. And here I say he is sorry for it. It is this that makes him call himself a wretched man. It is this that makes him loathe and abhor himself. It is this that makes him blush blush before God, and be ashamed. Romans 7, 24, Job 42 and 5, 6, Ezekiel 
36:31. He finds by nature no form nor comeliness in himself, but the more he looks in the glass of the Word, the more unhandsome, the more deformed he perceiveth sin has made him. Everybody sees not this, therefore everybody is not sorry for it. But the broken in heart sees that he is by sin corrupted, marred, full of lewdness and naughtiness. He sees that in him, that is in his flesh, dwells no good thing. And this makes him sorry, yea, it makes him sorry at heart. A man that has his bones broken finds he is spoiled, marred, disabled from doing as he would and should, at which he is grieved and made sorry. Many are sorry for actual transgressions, because they do oft bring them to shame before men. But few are sorry for the defects that sin has made in nature, because they see not those defects themselves. A man cannot be sorry for the sinful defects of nature till he sees they have rendered him contemptible to God. Nor is it anything but a sight of God that can make him truly see what he is, and so be heartily sorry for being so. Now mine eye seeth thee, saith Job, now I abhor myself. Woe is me, for I am undone, saith the prophet. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord. And it was this that made Daniel say his comeliness was turned in him into corruption. For he had now the vision of the Holy One. Job 42, 6, Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, Daniel 10, 8. Visions of God break the heart, because by the sight the soul then has of his perfection, it sees its own infinite and unspeakable disproportion because of the vileness of its nature. Suppose a company of ugly, uncomely, deformed persons dwelt together in one house. And suppose that they never yet saw any man or woman more than themselves, or that were arrayed with the splendors and perfections of nature. These would not be capable of comparing themselves with any but themselves, and consequently would not be affected and made sorry for their uncomely natural defections but now bring them out of their cells and holes of darkness where they have been shut up by themselves and let them take a view of the splendor and perfections of beauty that are in others. And then, if at all, they will be sorry and dejected at the view of their own defects. This is the case. Men by sin are marred, spoiled, corrupted, depraved, but they may dwell by themselves in the dark. They see neither God, nor angels, nor saints in their excellent nature and beauty, and therefore they are apt to count their own uncomely parts 
their ornaments and their glory. But now, let such as I said see God, see saints, or the ornaments of the Holy Ghost, and themselves as they are without them, and then they cannot but must be affected with and be sorry for their own deformity. When the Lord Christ put forth but little of His excellency before His servant Peter's face, it raised up the depravity of Peter's nature before Him to His great confusion and shame, and made Him cry out to Him in the midst of all His fellows, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke 5, 4 through 8. This, therefore, is the cause of a broken heart, even a sight of divine excellencies and a sense that I am a poor, depraved, spoiled, defiled wretch. And this sight, having broken the heart, begets sorrow in the broken-hearted. To the brokenhearted is a sorrowful man, for that he finds his depravity of nature strong in him, to the putting forth itself to oppose and overthrow what his changed mind doth prompt him to. When I would do good, saith Paul, evil is present with me, Romans 7.21. Evil is present to oppose to resist and make head against the desires of my soul. The man that has his bones broken may have yet a mind to be industriously occupied in a lawful and honest calling. But he finds by experience that an infirmity attends his present condition that strongly resists his good endeavors. And at this, he shakes his head, makes complaints, and with sorrow of heart he sighs and says, I cannot do the thing that I would. Romans 7:15, Galatians 5:17. I am weak. I am feeble. I am not only depraved, but by that depravity, deprived of ability to put good motions good intentions and desires into execution to completeness. Oh, says he, I am ready to halt. My sorrow is continually before me. Footnote below. The Christian, if he thinks of possessing good motions, joins with such thought his inability to carry them into effect. When I would do good, evil is present with me. How different is this to the self-righteous ignorance so vividly pictured in the Pilgrim's Progress? Ignorance. I am always full of good motions that come into my mind to comfort me as I walk. Christian. 
What good motions, pray tell us? Ignorance. Why, I think of God and heaven. Christian, so do the devils and damned souls. The whole of that deeply interesting dialogue illustrates the difficulty of self-knowledge which can only be acquired by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. See volume 3, page 156, editor George Offer. You must know that the broken-hearted loves God, loves his soul, loves good, and hates evil. Now for such an one to find in himself an opposition and continual contradiction to this holy passion, it must needs cause sorrow, godly sorrow, as the Apostle Paul calls it, for such are made sorrow after a godly sort. To be sorry, for that thy nature is with sin depraved, and that through this depravity thou art deprived of ability to do what the Word and thy holy mind doth prompt thee to, is to be sorry after a godly sort. For this sorrow worketh that in thee of which thou wilt never have cause to repent, no not to eternity. Second Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. Three, the broken-hearted man is sorry for those breaches that, by reason of the depravity of his nature, are made in his life and conversation. And this was the case of the man in our text. The vileness of his nature had broken out to the defiling of his life, and to the making of him, at this time, base in conversation. This, this was it, that all to break his heart, footnote, all to break, an obsolete mode of expression, for altogether broke. George Offer, editor. He saw in this, he had dishonored God, and that cut him. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. Psalms 51.4 He saw in this, he had caused the enemies of God to open their mouths and blaspheme, and this cut him to the heart. This made him cry, I have sinned against thee, Lord. This made him say, I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Psalms 38:18. When a man is designed to do a matter, when his heart is set upon it, and the broken-hearted doth design to glorify God, and obstruction to that design, the spoiling of this work, makes him sorrowful. Hannah coveted children, but could not have them, and this made her a woman of sorrowful spirit, For Samuel 1.15. A broken-hearted man would be well inwardly, and do that which is well outwardly, but he feels, he finds, 
he sees he is prevented, prevented at least in part. This makes him sorrowful. In this he groans, groans earnestly, being burdened with his imperfections. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-3 You know one with broken bones has imperfections, many, and is more sensible of them too, as was said afore, than any other man. And this makes him sorrowful. Yea, and makes him conclude that he shall go softly all his days in the bitterness of his soul. Isaiah thirty-eight, fifteen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.